Uh, good morning. Well, it looks like uh, we've got an, an hour to kill, so... Uh... <laughs> well, I, I promise not to be an hour, maybe 55 minutes. But... I mean, when, when, uh, when, I was, when I was told that the children were in this morning, I thought, well, I did ask Eric, well, what, 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 uh, <laughs> what, what, what should I do to try and kind of keep the children engaged? And uh, one, one of the suggestions was think, kind of thinking at the text, because we're looking this morning at uh, Exodus 6, uh, to 12, so an, an, an enormous chunk, but don't worry, we're not going to kind of pan through the whole of it, but uh, one suggestion was I look on, on Amazon and maybe kind of buy some chocolate-flavored locusts, because apparently you can actually buy real locusts that have been dipped in, in, in chocolate, and I thought, well, wouldn't that be great? You know, to actually devise a competition whereby a child could win and feed their parents a chocolate... Uh, 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 so here's the competition. No, don't, don't worry. I, I wouldn't be so cruel. But if, it, if it wasn't for the fact that the, the actual kind of uh, chocolate locusts are quite expensive, otherwise parents here could have been in trouble. <laughs> Alf says they're tasty. Do you, do you eat locusts at home? Oh, I'm gonna say, I, th- I thought you were kind of a, a bangers and mash person. <laughs> okay. Has anybody seen the news this week at all? Where's my clicker? Oh, I've hidden it. There it is. Got it. Has anybody seen the news at all this week? It's kind of quite interesting, kind of what's going on, isn't it? It's a, it's a bit of a performance, and I'm not going to kind of say anything political this week, but I, there was one favourite image that I kind of I, I, I saw. And well, it wasn't really an image. It was it was a kind of it was a video clip, and and for some reason Boris had got lost and he found himself in Morley in Leeds this week, and uh, this this is I don't know if any of you have seen this clip, but basically the, the, this man kind of went up to, to Boris and very politely kind of whispered into his ear, "Please leave my town." <laughs> I thought, at least Yorkshire people are honest, aren't they? Uh, there, we, uh, there we go. That's my kind of bit of a political rant out of the way, and uh, I'm, not as, uh, I'm not that reckless to actually kind of take my thoughts any further. But uh, it'd, be, and it'd be quite easy when we're actually looking at the Exodus, so certainly this part where, where, where Moses ultimately leads his people uh, out of Egypt to actually tie it in with the, uh, the present agenda, wouldn't it? But uh, we're not going to go there, uh, for, fortunately. Um, but uh, the, the title that uh, I was uh, given uh, for this week uh, was, 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 was squaring up to worldview, and that's what's in, in your insight. Well, I, I apologize. That's a bit of a, a misprint, because I'm, I'm just not going to do that. <laughs> so I, usually I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a stickler to, for actually kind of sticking to the text, but... Uh, I'm going to stick with the kind of the main title, uh, a, a people uh, transformed. And if I was going to give it a subtitle, the subtitle would be this: the, the condition of the heart. So, a people transformed, and the condition of the heart. And we're not going to actually read the whole of Exodus six 
to uh, 12, but we're going to read uh, uh, just a section of it. And we're going to be starting at uh, Exodus chapter 6, verse 28, and we are going to be reading through uh, to uh, Exodus 7, verse 13. And it kind of sets the scene in a way for what's going to actually come. So if you've got your phones, tap to it. If you've got your Bibles, turn to it. If you haven't brought any, look at the screen. Now, when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? And then the Lord said to Moses, see, I've made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron. He'll be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you. And your brother Aaron is to, is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though, I multi- and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. And then I will lay my hand on Egypt. And with a mighty act of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites, Israelites out of it. And Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron, 83, when they spoke to Pharaoh. I just want to put a bit of a pause in there. In, in contemporary culture, we often write the older generations off, don't we? Don't we? And you start to feel a little bit redundant when you get past a certain age or the potential of being redundant. Well, that's the world's economy. But in God's economy, it looks like Moses has spent the best of his years looking after sheep. But God's greatest plan for Moses didn't happen until he kind of looked past it. Just a bit of a side note. But I just felt it important to actually underline that. Never actually make judgments on the values that society places on us. Moving on. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh, sorry, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff, and throw it, on, throw it, throw it down before Pharaoh. And it'll become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned the wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same thing by their secret arts. And each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. And yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Let's just quickly pray again, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. 
I pray that you would help us to hear what you have to say to each of us, what you want to speak into our lives, our circumstances, our very hearts. We ask by that your spirit, you would breathe through this place and transform your people. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, a number of years ago, Erwin uh, uh, Lutzer, uh, I think he's a Canadian, but uh, he was in a ver- uh, an, uh, an evangelical pastor in, uh, in Chicago, and he wrote a, a bestseller book entitled Failure, The, the Backdoor to Success. You know, it, it, I think it's one of those books that you actually don't have to read. Because just by reading the title, it it, it automatically gives you a lift, doesn't it? You know, failure. Yeah, the back door to success. Wow. I've made lots of failures. Could be a back door to success. Yeah, but we like those sorts of stories, don't we? They, they, They inspire us and they give us hope. You know, it's a bit like the, uh, the rags-to-riches stories, aren't they? they? They inspire us to chase after our dreams. You know, to reach for the stars. Things when we come to the person like Moses, and we look at the journey that God takes him on, failure could not have been described as, as his backdoor to success. Rather, it became the front door into the service of God. And as we looked at the kind of chapters today, the most we meet in, in, in chapters uh, 6 and 7 and onwards... They're kind of not the same person that we meet back in, 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 in chapter 2. Uh, it's, it's, it's a familiar story for, for many of us, where in, when in a, a remarkable turn of events, Moses, the son of a Hebrew slave, finds himself growing up in the royal courts of Egypt, adopted by no one less than Pharaoh's daughter. Utterly astonishing. And so Moses, raised in a palace, not dressed in the rags of a slave, but in the refinery that comes with privilege. Now, Moses is a person, I wouldn't actually describe him as, as, uh, as entitled in, in his attitude, But certainly he was kind of a little bit uh, presumptuous, maybe. A little overconfident, maybe when it came to the authority that he held as as an Egyptian prince. See the film, Prince of Egypt. But when we actually see Moses, God seems to have already instilled in him from a very early age, a strong sense of, of, of justice, what was right and what was wrong, and, and, and especially when it came to his own race, the Hebrew people. And just a bit of a sideline again, never underestimate the value of inputting into young lives. 
Young lives and young hearts are tender. I know that Chris, working for Youth for Christ, testify that. What, what's the age group that the majority of people find that come to Christ? It's, it's under the age of 18, isn't it? It's in the early years. And so Sunday school isn't just a, a hobby for some. It's a significant ministry, shaping the heart. And so Moses' heart had already been shaped for a sense of justice, a sense of, of what was right and wrong. And so when he sees a, a Hebrew slave being mistreated by the Egyptian slave driver, Moses suddenly sees red. And he takes matters into his own hands. And he cuts down the Egyptian slave driver, dead. You just picture it, can't you? Kind of dragging off his body, hiding it, burying it in the sand somewhere. You know, Moses I, I mean, believed in, in, in his heart that justice had just been done. Doing right by his own people. And even doing right by the God of the Hebrews. But as we read on, it all goes belly up. It all goes terribly wrong and called out by his fellow Hebrews for his presumption to be judge, jury, and executioner. And what happens? Well, he ends up fleeing for his life, doesn't he? And so into the deserts, this prince goes, and he spends 40 years there, looking after not his own sheep, but another man's sheep. Not what you'd be called befitting for someone who grew up in a palace. And so we, here we have it. From, ri- from the riches of the palace to the rags of the sheep pen. Fast forward 40 years. So the desert wasn't a harsh enough training ground for him. And God appears to Moses in the burning bush. We looked at it last week with, with, with Paul and, and the part of Exodus that uh, we were looking at uh, then. And, and this is where Moses initially receives his, his commission. He's already got a kind of shaped heart for justice. But God commissions him here. And God was to use Moses to bring his people out of a very oppressive situation. And very specific instructions are given. And there's, there's no time to actually go into the detail, but when we actually look at chapter 3, verses 18 to 4, 31, we see how specific these instructions are. Then why was the result an utter disaster? It couldn't have gone more wrong for Moses. Not only did he fail to deliver his people out of the situation, but he made the situation ten times worse. And his fellow Israelites let him know. You've made us a stench to Pharaoh, in his officials, they said, and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. In other words, all this mess... Moses, you see it. You, you, do you see the mess 
that you have created just now. And you know something? It's all your fault. Have any of us been in situations of authority and it all comes tumbling down? And we didn't mean to make a mess, but for some reason it's a mess. And the fingers point. And it's utterly demoralizing. And this is where Moses finds himself. Not really what a leader wants to hear. A leader doesn't really want to be crushed like this, but nonetheless he is. And so the people blame Moses. And in good old Adam-esque style, and when I'm talking about Adam-esque, I'm not talking about Adam Collins. I'm talking about Adam, the fall in Eden. And Moses pins squarely the blame onto the shoulders of Yahweh, the God who called him. And it's incredible when we look at Exodus 5.23, how, how bold and how upfront and how scathing Moses is the way he's speaking to God. He says, ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in, in, in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people. And you, you have not rescued your people at all. That's bold. But it shows you the sentiment and how Moses, in this failure, felt. I'm quite sure many of us here have thought that maybe God should have answered prayer in one way or taken us in a certain direction, and he hasn't. And all we've experienced is pain. We're very good friends. We were working with him in Burkina. And uh, I remember one time, and uh, he was out at a village, and this little child was very sick, and he and just about to die. And he thought, if, 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 if there was ever an opportunity for the gospel, wouldn't it be wonderful if this child was marvelously healed and handed back to his parents and the child died? It was crushing. Nearly lost his faith through it. But sometimes life is like that, isn't it? kind of gives us crushing blows and it hurts and we don't understand why. So who's to blame? Is it Moses? Or is it God? Well, to be honest, it's actually a bit of both. Let me tell you what I mean. First thing we need to notice that there was nothing lacking in the instructions that God gave to Moses. Moses would never get, God would never give somebody instruction that's going to trip them up. In fact, the instructions were actually very specific. The problem actually occurred when Moses took the Lord's instructions, the word of the Lord, and in his presumption felt he was at liberty to take what God had said and bring his own personal interpretation to bear. Yeah, we see this in Exodus 5.1. 
In other words, he treated the word of God with contempt. He saw the word of God more as a guideline rather than something to be obeyed as a result of disaster. You know, it's a dangerous thing when we treat the Bible as if it was merely a Christian opinion. It's completely the wrong way of looking at Scripture. The Bible isn't a Christian opinion. The Bible is the word of God. How we must treat it as the word of God. So the question remains, what was God's part in this if he was partially culpable? It really is impossible to hold all the answers why God allows certain things to happen and why he doesn't allow other things to happen, things that may seem unfair or even unnecessary in our eyes. But sometimes we don't have all the answers. But here there are hints. You see, for some reason, God seems to have uh, allowed this to happen. Because he is sovereign, isn't he? Sometimes stuff happens. God is still sovereign. But you see, when God chooses people such as you and I, to carry out his divine purposes. And as a church, that's what we're called to, isn't it? To carry out his divine purposes. What a, what a weight of responsibility. And he does take us as we are. He does. But then we become as clay in the hands of the potter. Or we become like a rough, unhewn piece of stone to a sculptor. And in the process of shaping and molding, the Lord can take us through some pretty painful and humbling experiences. And I'm guessing most people know exactly what that's like. There was... uh, a Renaissance, or there, there's a tale about uh, the Renaissance artist, uh, Michelangelo. Uh, and he was asked uh, about the, the, the difficulties that he experienced, uh, that he encountered in, in sculpting his masterpiece, David. And uh, the artist uh, replied with a wry smile. Oh, that's uh, easy, he said. You just chip everything away. That doesn't look like David. It's one of those quotes that's pretty doubtful whether Michelangelo actually said that. But you actually get the point, don't you? That when God calls us into his family, the transformation that God desires for you and for me is that we are transformed into the likeness of Christ. And so it was with Moses. As God's chosen instrument, 
There were things that he needed to learn that can only be learned through life's experiences. In this world, we have so many blind spots, and God sees them all. And so he takes us through things that we would rather not go through. I love this poem by uh, an unknown uh, author. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world may be amazed, watch his methods and watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands. How he bends but never breaks. When he's good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses and with every purpose fuses him by every act induces him to try his splendor out God knows what he's about I think well yeah you haven't touched really kind of chapter 6 yet But when you actually get to chapter 6 in the book of Exodus, we find quite a different character than we saw in chapter 2, don't we? For his character has been transformed by his experience. No longer so self-assured, faltering lips, but ready To take God at his word. Moses is humbled and now obedient. And as much as this was God's purpose and plan for Moses, so it is for everybody who is a follower of Christ as instruments in the master's hands. You see, it is a matter of the heart, isn't it? First and foremost, as God's chosen people. Ephesians describes us as God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works so when you go through trials look in the mirror and say I am God's masterpiece look at the person sitting next to you they may look fairly rough they may look like a piece of clay some bigger pieces of clay than others but they are God's masterpiece but still in the process it's interesting to see how transformed A heart can respond to the Lord. And there's no time to go into this now. But 
in, maybe in your, in, your, in your life groups, home groups, cell groups, Bible study groups. That's naughty, isn't it? Whatever group. Have a look through Exodus 6 onwards and see what the author says. Time and again it's written, Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. No license. They just did. And the results stack them. How would he uh, describe a, a person, generally speaking, is, is, is a reflection of what uh, that person's heart uh, is like? I remember being in, uh, in, in, in a supermarket a, a few months ago and li- overhearing a, a little child speaking to their dad, and, and uh, they, a little voice said, Dad, you're the funniest person in our house. <laughs> Brilliant. His, he had a, a heart to amuse his kids. Absolutely wonderful. It says something about the heart. You know, if, if you were to say of, of, of me, yeah, Mark, he's, he's so kind. <laughs> the last service didn't get any laugh there. <laughs> so it's a, bit, it's a bit reassuring, but maybe it's not. Or, or you, know, you know, Mark, Mark he, he's so patient <coughs> most of the time. Don't, don't ask my family. <laughs> I, sometimes I do get a little bit impatient, especially if I'm in the kitchen. And I always have to say to my kids, look, if I was a Christian, it'd be much worse. God is still working on me. <laughs> but it says something out of the heart, doesn't it? It says something about the character. You know, if, if someone were to describe me as a ruthless and a hard man, well, I'm not quite sure you'd want me standing here. Oh, Mark's speaking this Sunday. He's a ruthless and a hard man. It's going to be good. No, it's not going to be good. Because people speak out of their hearts. And alarm bells would start to ring. And it wouldn't be fitting for a ruthless and a hardened man to have the privilege of speaking to God's people. Pharaoh was a hard man. He was a ruthless man. And repeatedly, the hardness of Pharaoh's heart is mentioned here in Exodus. And there are three things about Pharaoh's heart that the book of Exodus tells us about the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. Three things. The first thing we notice is that it's the Lord that actually hardened his heart. And the second thing we see that Pharaoh's not let off the hook. He was a man who hardened his own heart. And then we're told that his heart was, it was just hard. You know, on one level, and a rather superficial level, I kind of feel a little bit, Sorry for Pharaoh. You know, from the text, it would appear that God was the instigator of the hardening of Pharaoh's harbor. How can that be? It just doesn't seem just. Over you know, nine times in Exodus, it's explicitly mentioned that it was the Lord who hardens Pharaoh's heart. 
and only three times where Pharaoh is said to have hardened his own heart, and yet God clearly holds Pharaoh responsible for the decisions he makes. By the ten plagues, as in Shu, it describes them as a, a, a judgment. And we see the ten plagues, and they start off with a, a disruption of water supply, and, 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 and the result is absolute disaster as a firstborn child, a firstborn son of every family dies apart from those who are saved through it, the people of Israel. And it kind of seems unfair, doesn't it? When we come to Scripture, there always has to be an understanding, and there always is an understanding by the authors that the God that God is the judge of all the earth, and the judge of all the earth always does what is right. Genesis 18:25. It was judgment. And this is where the worldview bit comes into play. You see, the Egyptian worldview at the time was a pantheistic one. In other words, there was a, a plethora of God's small g, each connected to the created order or, or, or the natural world. And they are attributed to certain powers. And they were demanding and they were brutal. And, one, and if one follows gods who are demanding and brutal, guess what's going to happen? You're actually going to emulate the gods who you are serving. And so this worldview cultivated a harshness and a cruelty. You know, any worldview that is, is, is developed apart from the God of love will always end up being harsh and cruel. You see it over the globe. And we see it in our own country developing. There is becoming a very harshness and a cruelness in the society, as much as you can try and airbrush it out, especially towards people that hold to the word of God. A harshness and a cruelty. And of course, Pharaoh himself, understood to be the sun god incarnate, was no exception. He was harsh, he was hard, and he was cruel. Sin will only ever harden a person's heart. Always, without exception. And that is why as, as, as Christians, as a church, we're always called to keep a short account with God. To regularly come to Him confessing our sins. I think it's something we should do more in, in, in church, to have times of coming to God and recognizing those mistakes, those sometimes deliberate, sometimes not deliberate, but we've been rebellious to come to God and certainly in our own personal devotion times. It's essential. Absolutely essential. And the wonderful news is, is that we, when we come to God and we confess our sins, we are told that He is faithful. And he is just. And he will forgive us. And the amazing thing is that he not only forgives us, he purifies us. 
you know, the wonderful thing of, of, of being clean. The filth of sin. And the purity that God imputes his saints because of what Christ has done on the cross. It's a pretty good exchange, isn't it? You know, the flip side, of course, is self-deception. And this is where the hardening of the heart takes place. Not all at once. Over time, little by little. And here's a frightening thing. Really frightening, I think. The choices we make do affect our ability to respond to God and his word. And this is the state of Pharaoh's heart. It is as if he had reached that point in his utter rebellion of what Alex Motier puts as he had crossed a line. He'd reached that point where his heart had become so calloused, he was no longer able to respond to God. For years he had been hardening his heart through the choices he made, and it would appear he had reached the point of no return. How does that work out? I don't know. But it's kind of resonates with the Apostle Paul in Romans, doesn't it? Romans 1.24, in talking of God's wrath on a depraved society, and it talks where God has given them over to their destructive desires and, happen, and, and, and habits, to be given over for something that is ultimately going to destroy you. And this is what happened to Pharaoh. He was given over. And it's an utterly terrifying thought. (coughs) Don't harden your heart. Don't make choices that are going to make your heart so calloused. Don't engage in things that you know that is against God. And it could be all sorts of things. In our attitudes. A calloused heart. Attitudes that you know are not right. And each time one feeds on the other. And God always implores us to turn back in humility. Because he is the God who draws near to those who humbly draw near to him. The condition of our hearts matters. And it was seen that the condition of Pharaoh's heart resulted not only in his own demise, but also brought utter disaster and tragic loss 
on those he ruled over. I'm not going to kind of read any further forward. It's a familiar story. Read it when we get back, but see what the consequences of one man's callous heart resulted in. Horrible, horrible, horrible. But somehow it was all, all in God's plan. And then there is Moses, humbled under God's mighty hand, learned that the only way to move forward is through the humility of heart in total submission to the master. And I want to just finish now just by reading uh, uh, just a short verse from Philippians about one who is greater than Moses, that even he became obedient. And Paul says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. Do you see the pattern? And being found in appearance of a man. He what? He humbled himself. And became obedient. Obedient to death on the cross that opened up the way to give us life. And therefore God exalted him. And when Christ returns, his servants will be exalted. Let's just spend a few moments uh, in silence. And as I was preparing this, God, well, God always speaks to me when I prepare shouldn't preach if he doesn't speak to me through his word first and foremost. But maybe God, and hopefully God has spoken to you through his word. And just let's leave God a little bit of space in the silence. We don't need, we don't need the music at this, at this moment. Maybe there's something that you know you need to change. It might be an attitude. It might be a behavior. When you feel your heart is becoming hardened and calloused. You need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, sorry. My bad. I want to follow you. Maybe for some of us, we've just taken God's word as... Just a Christ, just a one opinion amongst many. You know, Christian opinion can look at others, and we've degraded it. We've failed to see it anymore as God's word, where we need to come repent and turn in our attitudes to the God who always speaks truth. And maybe for some of us, maybe for many of us. We've stopped having our quiet times, keeping short accounts. And we always say, well, we should fix that up and, you know, start doing this again. But life gets busy and we never make time. But the reality is we make time for those things that are important. There is nothing more important. Heavenly Father, we come to you in humility recognizing that you are the one that's flung stars into space, who created everything we see and everything that we don't see. 
You're the one that orchestrates the whole show. And so often we fail to trust you and we try and put our own spin in it and do it our own way. We end up hurting ourselves and hurting each other. Father, forgive us. May we be a people that are known by their humility, by their faithfulness to you, and by their obedience to your word and what you say. And thank you for the grace that you give us. And when we confess our sins, that you are faithful and you forgive and you purify us and you fill us with your spirit so that we may live for you. In Jesus' name we pray.